I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. Something, something, da 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 da. Underneath the Christmas tree. That's about all I know of that song. Welcome to the Upper Discussion Podcast, people. The only show on the internet where we talk about the things that we talk about in the order that we talk about them. My name is Tim Blay. My name is Tom Zalatni. Sitting with us, we have a special guest. It's my brother, Tom. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back. Mm. How are you doing, Tom? I heard that you're missing a piece of your face. Yeah, I had a tooth extracted yesterday. Mm. I was eating and it broke and it was really rotten and it would have cost a lot of money to fix it. So I just said pull it. So it's just like broke in half? Like Pretty much. Up, yeah. And it like fell out of your head? Yeah, pretty what, much. A what, piece did. What were you eating when this happened? Something soft. It wasn't even anything hard. <laughs> it was just like, that's how bad it was. <laughs> Man, geez. Was um, it good? Like tasty? Oh, oh the tooth? It? The, 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 the tooth food. was awesome. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> Mom's noodle casserole. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's a... I mean, I, I think I've lost a few teeth in that casserole. <laughs> I mean, Mom, not recently. what are you putting in that thing? <laughs> it's a, Noodles and teeth. That's kind of interesting because I've often, I've, I've often thought that I, you know, it's, I've kind of felt with nostalgia that I'll never lose another tooth. But I, now I realize that I will definitely lose more teeth, just not until I don't want to lose them. Yeah, you'll lose them in, like, not the conventional way. Yeah. Isn't if you have a dream where your teeth fall out, isn't that supposed to mean something? Um, There's, like, maybe. some clinical diagnosis or something like that. Are we going into, like, the the dream, the, those, like, dream guides of, like, what, what dreams mean? I don't know. Have you guys ever dreamed that your teeth fell out? I don't know. I just, I heard somewhere that that's supposed to mean something. I was hoping you would know. I've had dreams that other parts of me fell off. Which ones? Um, Personal parts. That was a weird dream. <laughs> Let's. It took about three minutes for your mom to stop listening to this episode. Sorry, mom. Thank you for taking care of our teeth when we were young ones. Hmm. A therapist would probably have a lot to say about that dream. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that prob- probably yeah. Hmm. I think probably a therapist could do a lot with me. Probably. Yeah. I. I think I've never had like, I've never had dreams about losing teeth. But the last time I lost a tooth, that wasn't just like, you know growth was mm. uh i think it was like 10 and i was eating candy and i had those like mint lifesavers well, those things are too hard like the wintergreen ones that gl- yeah. like, like glow in the dark when you chew them yeah oh cool wait do they glow in the dark well the, yeah they, they like spark they've got some weird chemical in them i don't know that the that, that, <laughs> it's true anyways go on with your story wait really yeah yeah do, they spark you, in the dark do you know what he's talking about um, only because he told me this a couple of days ago because we were eating wintergreen lightsabers. We used to do experiments. Maybe Remember? that's what like started the tooth right. being bad. We need to take out a lawsuit against the Mars company or whoever owns lightsabers. <laughs> the Mars company? It's probably them. They yeah. own everything. Yeah, they own everything that's weird and scientifically weird. And that'll <laughs> knock your teeth out. Yeah, sure. And also like... They own boxing gloves. Peanut chocolate. Peanut chocolate. That's what's in Mars bars, sure. Isn't it? It's not like they have a big, this contains no peanuts label on every Mars bar ever oh, made. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wait, what? what's in a Mars bar then? Is I don't it know. Just chocolate? I feel like they call it nougat, but it's really not. It's yeah, like, it's like brown sugary stuff. It's like slightly like, it's got like air holes in it. It's like old gat. Yeah. 
We are the experts at Awkward Pauses. So, uh, yeah, I mean, how's your week been here in, in this Montreal land? Apart it's been good. Uh, we've had two power failures out in Hudson so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's been interesting. Well, you're getting some, some like classic Montreal experience, I guess. Yep, there's lots of snow and lots of ice. It hasn't been too cold, though, so that's been pretty good. Yeah, it's true. It's, I mean, I haven't really been out at all. It's been week. like, it's like minus 15. No, not, not even. It's like minus 10. My I, weather app said 15 this morning. Hmm. Well, just fine. Okay. I know. It doesn't feel like it's that cold. No, it's not too bad. I've been really enjoying wearing long johns the past two days. <laughs> Me too. Oh, yeah? Tell them oh, why, yeah. Tim. Tell them why. <laughs> oh, well, I'm yeah, because I ran out of clean underwear. Uh-huh. But long johns are underwear, so I didn't run out of clean underwear. This is just my last pair, and they happen to be long. Uh-huh. When did you put them on? Um, Yesterday. Yep. Yeah, you got a problem with that? Kinda. I've been wearing the same underwear for two days. Is that too many days? Yeah. You well, should do laundry. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's why true. your personal parts fall off. It's gangrene. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. If you uh if you went to a therapist, Tom, what do you think is the first thing they'd try to fix? Oh god. <laughs> There's so many things. <laughs> hmm. I feel like probably they like one of the things I've been, I've been realizing is that probably like you you were you and I were talking a little bit about Jordan Peterson, um, mm-hmm. who's this like sort of politically active um, psycho- psychologist that's um, making a lot of waves in the internet right now. Um, but he's mostly a clinical psychologist, and one of the things he was saying in just offhandedly in a lecture that I was listening to was like, here are some things that if you don't have, it's going to be very hard for you to be a healthy human being. It's a like basic scheduled job, um, like a, a dedicated relationship, like romantic relationship, and like what was the one other thing? Like, like friends that you see on a regular basis. Like if you don't have any of those three things, you're probably gonna do really badly. And I was like, hmm. you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should rethink some of my life priorities. I mean, you do have friends you see on a regular basis. I have you. And Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you're you're the type of person who when people propose plans you and you actually respond to the message, it's always with a yes. Yeah, because so you my, do get out of the house pretty you know. But that's only because I don't respond with a no and don't respond to most things. Sure. So my non response is my no. I feel like you see people at least as often as I see people. That's probably true. I don't so. know if you should put yourself up as a shining example of mental health, but but I yeah. also don't think of myself as someone who doesn't spend enough time with people. That's true. So yeah. if that's any consolation, you've got that one. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I think if I had to like, <laughs> probably the thing that would get fixed in me the quickest is like, or not the quickest, but it'd be the target for fixing mm. would probably just be like, I have a lot of like self-worth issues. Mm. Just feeling really like, not presently, but just in general. I I tend to have a lot of feelings of like, you're not good enough at things. You don't, you know, you mean nothing. You are worthless. Right. And that's probably something that ought to be dealt with eventually. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I think it goes sort of both ways. Like there's there's sort of a, a a half of that and then a swing towards narcissism, right? And it's weird to have both of those coexist at once. Right. Where at at one at one point, your brain is telling you, like, you're like you're like better than everybody. And then 
on this at the like on the next day it's like you're terrible at everything and you'll never be good at anything it's like it's weird to, that both of those can happen like in the mm-hmm. same brain right it's like a compensation thing yeah so maybe. even your personality disorder is schizophrenic yep <laughs> well it's possible yeah but i kind of get that like i have a similar thing only i think for me like it it turns up in like i think i am better than a lot of people at specific things right but i also think that those things aren't actually the things that make me worth anything as a human being um yeah i I think i can i can get behind that like maybe that's how i see myself some of the time yeah like i feel like i don't contribute to the world but i also feel like i'm very good at like you know stuff that doesn't actually matter hmm and when i see people who are bad at those things that don't actually matter i'm like well i'm better than you you're a garbage person (laughs) but then i you know also contribute nothing to the world and yeah yeah i don't know tommy thoughts thoughts i don't know this got real really fast (laughs) sorry (laughs) this got this got way deeper than i was prepared to jump into (laughs) we dove into the deep end um apologies i don't know let's see i think maybe one of the things for me would be that i tend to prioritize other people over myself in terms of like taking care of things Mm. like Like, for example, like at home, like I don't really put too much effort into keeping things clean and whatnot. But like when I'm at home, like with mom and stuff, like I'm like super into like helping out and doing stuff like that. Or if I'm at someone else's house, but I don't prioritize like doing that stuff for myself too well. Yeah, I I get that. I'm not, where do you like... Yeah, do you do you experience that, Tom? Or you just I mean, you pretty much clean up everything all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I I find for me like my personal threshold for like cleanliness is that I like things fairly clean, but not necessarily tidy. But as soon as it affects other people, I'm a lot more inclined to like make right. a push for it, right? So if we've got people coming over for a meal and I'm like our house is a mess, that's when I get really obsessive about it. Prior to that, I'm just kind of like... That's the same for me. Yeah. Like, as long as it's not like, you know, every surface is sticky, I'm like, we're good. But, you know, if there's piles everywhere and someone's coming over, I'm like, I need to deal with these piles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think with with me, the difference is that I presume that if I'm not doing something... and, And this is a fallacy, especially with having a roommate who's particularly prone to cleaning things, is that, like, I always sort of have this presumption that if I don't do this thing right now, I'll still have to do it later, so, like, it doesn't really make a difference, Hmm. which is a bad way to go through life in general. It's just a lot of procrastination, right? But when I'm at someone else's place, my thought is, if I don't do this now, they'll have to do it later. Right. And it's, like, obvious because I'm leaving. Hmm. Whereas the reality is that even here, if I don't do something, probably you're going to end up doing it. Yeah. Which is not great. (laughs) Right. So you're a better guest than you are a roommate, is what you're saying. I think so. Probably. Yeah. Cool. Well, that, you're not the worst roommate I've ever had, though. So that that does help. I've got this low expectations thing going on. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my previous my previous roommate, who I love to death as a person, I wouldn't want to live with again necessarily. <laughs> mm. so, yeah, yeah. Mm. I've never actually had a roommate aside from my wife. Well, that's true. Mm. Yeah. So I've never really done that thing. Have either of you guys lived by yourself ever? I mean, I moved in here a month before Tim did. Okay. So, right. so if that counts. For then, not very long. Yeah. I guess it's about as close as you get. No, I I never have. I mean, I've always wondered if it, like, yeah, if if it would be good for me to live by myself. Like, part of me has always really 
thought that you know that would be freeing and part of me thinks that it would just contribute to the way that i get shut in hmm. it's a bit of both yeah. i think everything has its pros and cons mm. hmm. yeah did you find that like like living on your own you were like you had the incentive to to go out and do things or would you get sort of stuck um in your own space? <clears throat> well at the time i was living on my own i was super busy with things I was just getting a band going and I was actually playing in two bands right. at the time. So I was just not home very much anyway. Mm. So I didn't really have that problem. Mm. Um, I kind of enjoyed my space at the time, probably because I was always out with people in, you know, the rest of my life. Yeah. Mm. I think now it would probably not be so great living mm. on my own. Yeah, that's true. I feel like if when like when I was in school I kind of functionally lived alone a lot of the time, even when I was living with roommates, because the only time I came home, I would just come home and go to bed and then wake up and leave, right? There wasn't mm. a lot of interaction. Um, now is very different because I work here and I live here and I, you know, Mary Jane's just down the street. So I don't even have, really have a huge incentive to like go super far to see somebody or do something. So yeah, I wonder if, if I was at home, if I was alone now, it would probably be pretty different. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I know for me, like when I was on my own for a month, it was really nice in terms of like being able to keep everything at home exactly how I wanted it uh, at any given time, which is like not necessarily much cleaner, but just like everything was where I wanted it. Right. Right. Like that's the big thing for me with like roommate situations is like if I put something somewhere, like if I'm putting stuff away, there I compartmentalize things in a specific way. Right. And I'm like, that goes there. That goes there. I got that goes there. Roommates will sometimes notice that trend and follow it, but often not, right? And you can't really blame them unless you lay it out and say, like, this is where these go, this is where these go. And yeah. who does that, right? And maybe they have a map in their mind that has different places well, where things go. There's that too, right? And so eventually, like, things start to kind of, like, come together and you both sort of understand what's going on, but it's a challenge for sure. And mm. I think that's, like, that's one thing that I liked a lot about living alone was that, like, I always knew where everything was because I was always the person to put it there. Huh. But it's also less exciting that way. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I, if you want to look at what it's like, what, what it would be like if I lived alone, you know, look at my room because that's sort of what happens when right. I'm in charge of my own space. And that's just, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not a good state of being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we were trying to find, uh, I went on a cleaning spree over the weekend while, uh, while you guys were out of town. And uh, I, at some point I was like, I'm going to take a break from cleaning and put up some art. And then I, spend an hour looking for my hammer and I was like I don't know where my hammer is because it wasn't in the drawer with the other tools it wasn't like next to my toolbox like it wasn't anywhere that a hammer would be I even checked the basement where I remember Tim had been using it, it wasn't in the basement spent a oh, whole, I remember like, you, you know, called Tim we were hanging out yeah, yeah. Had a phone call because <laughs> I was like your maybe, hammer was yeah I was like maybe <laughs> Tim knows where this hammer is and he's like no it's not in the toolbox oh, yeah. I'm like, nope. I mean it's uh, uh, what my thought was it's very possible that I left it somewhere but here are the places I might have left it right and then you you and it like wasn't in any of those places and I was like so stumped at, to the point where I thought maybe I've even like lent this to someone and I don't remember and then finally like yesterday I was like are you sure it's not just like buried in your room somewhere and it was just in a bag <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it needed it needed the proper like like route through my mind for me to realize where a hammer like how a hammer might have gotten to a specific point. Right. 
because it, it wasn't that I had left it in my room. Like that was my mental block. I don't bring hammers into my room. This right. is ridiculous. But I do bring big bags of stuff into my room that might have included hammers. <laughs> <laughs> so just just realizing that that had happened was enough that like I like we were talking in the hallway and I was like, oh wait. And I went in and five seconds later I had the hammer. Yeah. I knew where it was once once the connection was made. So what else was in the big bag of stuff? Some rope, um, a lot of nails, an old no, I think I think the can of beans isn't in there anymore. We had just I come back from murdering a person. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. There was we gotta get Murdoch on the case. The the great bean <laughs> mystery. Bring in William Shatner. Is he on Murdoch Mysteries? He was. He played like Teddy Roosevelt or something. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's beautiful. Or one of the Roosevelts. And there's a few Roosevelts. When is Murdoch set? Uh, I don't know. It's like 1800s or something? Something like that. Yeah, I think he played Teddy Roosevelt. I could be wrong. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the big challenge of like living with people or living without people is just like, like having full dominion of a space, right? Yeah. So like if you're alone, everything the light touches is yours. And if you live with people, everything the light touches is shared, probably. And so mm. there's just this, like, if you're a person who's really good at just kind of, like, not caring about that stuff at all and, like, has no sense of, like, attachment to objects in any way, shape, or form and is very zen about that, I can see it working really well. But if you're not like that at all, then, like, it gets really, like, stressful, I guess. I imagine I'd be pretty good with roommates because I really don't care about stuff like that. <laughs> well, that's that's the double-edged sword, right? Is that you're only that only makes you a good roommate to people who also don't care about stuff like that, right? Right. So I'd be like a horrible roommate for Tom. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. a pretty good roommate for me. <laughs> Which I think, yeah, when I was living with you, like we didn't have any problems particularly. Oh yeah, that's right. You lived with me for a year. I almost for, for, that. for a summer, not for a whole year. Right. Yeah. Right. Just it was, it was summer, a long but, time ago. Yeah. And I like, you know, I pretty much lived in your living room. <laughs> yeah, like, you lived in like the tiny little room. Your room was like supposed to be like a little storage room or oh, something. Oh yeah, for the first half I lived in the storage room and then you moved. Yeah. And then I and then I lived just on your living room floor after that. <laughs> and that's yeah, it worked out. I think I like because I was pretty much living out of a suitcase, I wasn't really going to make a huge mess in your place. Yeah. I didn't have any possessions to bring around and yeah, your cat destroyed my leather jacket, though. I was annoyed at that. Oh, stupid yeah. cat. I left it in a corner, and she peed on it. Oh, uh, no, that's not even what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> no, you cannot get cat pee out of a leather jacket, no, no matter how yeah. you try. I've learned that I have to be careful of, like, not leaving clothes on the floor and stuff, because <laughs> my cat's really stupid. <laughs> Are they, do your cats still haven't learned what a litter box is properly? They have, but, like, I don't know, they're still kind of stupid. We've got two litter boxes now because we've two cats. Right. And for a while, they weren't getting along at all. So we thought maybe if we gave them like separate litter boxes. But what ended up ended up happening was now they'll only crap in one and only pee in the other one. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That's yeah, great. It, it's kind of interesting how they sort of figured that out. <laughs> wow. So it's like, huh? I, I'm not sure why that would have happened. Like they compartmentalized that in their minds, but. Maybe there's a good reason. Do you know if that like happens in the wild? I have no idea. Like, do do cats, given the option, have like particular places where they pee and particular places where they crap? I mean, let's take a look at like men's public bathrooms, right? Yeah. Most men, not all men, myself, <laughs> for instance, but mm-hmm. most men will like only use the toilet if they're actually like pooping. 
Right. And then they'll always pee in the urinal. Yeah, but I feel like we're just sort of like we've we've been what's that word? Societally conditioned to use urinals to pee. Like I don't know if there's a good reason why we do. Cuz they're convenient and because they're they're less water, right? I think that's that's probably the incentive for installing them is that like you don't need nearly as much water to flush. Sure, but you don't think about that when you're deciding where to walk to. No, but oh, but what you think is, oh, somebody put this thing here called a urinal. I'm going to urinate in it. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't think there's a good reason. Like, like you know, I, I don't think for most of human history there were different places. Hmm. Oh, maybe there were. You can't really poop in a bush. Maybe what this means is that you're not like, <laughs> you could. Oh, man, I was on a field trip once. No. I, I didn't do this. Uh, we had a classmate with Down syndrome, and he pooped oh, in the urinal. This can't be good. It was terrible. And we were all like, man, if anyone else had done this, we'd be yelling at them. But we mm-hmm. can't yell at him because he has yeah. Down syndrome. And yeah. so we just were like. That's fair urinal has poop in it the teachers were like yeah we can't do anything about this either we're just going to clean this urinal and yeah that's all you got to do yeah i think maybe someone got blamed initially before they found out who it was right because you know it could have been a bad prank it could have been a bad or a great prank depending on Mm. who you ask maybe it really was someone but they were like no one's gonna blame the down syndrome kid we'll pin (laughs) it on him that's terrible (laughs) i've never thought about that i really hope not but how evil were your classmates i it was grade seven anything goes (laughs) yeah grade seven is a pretty evil time to be alive the evilest but i think going back to this cat thing i think it's interesting that this means that your cats know the difference between their pee and their poop as like different substances as opposed to just different feelings well you know cats are pretty clean animals like they're pretty particular about stuff like that yeah but i find it interesting that they 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 somehow separated those as not just both being bad waste things Mm. right yeah and also that it seems that they they did it in tandem it's not like one (laughs) like it's it's not that that like it just happened to be that one peed and one was like all right that's the pee spot they both agreed like okay this one is the one for number one, and this one is the one for number two. Which seems to be the only thing they've agreed on in forever. <laughs> My cats hate each other, which is really weird, because when we first, we started out with just the one, and then we got the other one, and they didn't like each other at first, and then for a while, they were best friends. Like, they would hung, hang out, they would clean each other, and then, I don't know what happened, one of them pissed the other one off <laughs> somehow, and now they just can't stand each other. Jeez, they're going through a rough patch. Yeah, well, they've been going through a rough patch for like three years. Well, sometimes that's so. how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> just got to stick it out. I mean, that's the, th- the thing with you having your cats is that you've essentially put them together in a forced marriage. Like, they're not going to, they can't divorce from each other. They can't decide to give each other their own space. You've made them poop in the same box. So, hell or high water, they're going to have to work this out. There was actually one point where we just kept one of them in the bedroom for, like, (laughs) a couple months just to separate them until they could, like, at least tolerate each other without trying to kill each other. Wow. Yeah. Cat psychology. That worked, though? It did. Like, they're not as bad now. They don't like each other. Okay. But... They're not constantly at each other's throats anymore. Okay. That is like, that's a pretty common practice when you're introducing a new pet to an environment is that you kind of like divvy up the space a little bit so that they're not just immediately like, hey, what's up? I'm in your house now. Yeah. yeah, But it's weird that we had to do that like after they'd been living together for like several years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they just decided they hated each other. (laughs) They just, they just needed some space. (laughs) They were on a break. Never on a break. My cats are very strange. They, they have very distinct personalities. <laughs> one one loves me and like isn't a big fan of my wife. 
and the other one does not like me and loves her. Yeah. <laughs> so. But your, I mean, your cats. There's only one of your cats that I have permanent scars from. Which the one? Timpani, the little, oh, yeah. the little monster one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like one of your cats is objectively worse than the other cat. She hates everyone except Brooklyn, pretty okay. much. No. Yeah, that's, there's some upsides to that, I guess. If is, you want, like, a, like well, a guard if, cat. If you're Brooklyn, like, yeah, you can, like, yeah, it's it's like it's like having a lion around, but he's on your side. Except it's tiny. Yeah. Cats are, cats are vicious, though. Yeah. It can be. Yeah, they're they're godless killing machines. Hmm. They're I, just small, so we <laughs> like them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but great. apparently cats like cats are not as antisocial as people have made them out to be like the actual cats that were first domesticated in like ancient Mesopotamia were not these cats that like that there's on, there's only one cat per per like square mile of area and they'll like kill each other like they did kind of live in groups. So that's what made these cats in particular kind of more disposed to develop connections with human beings right so they're kind of equivalent to like your guinea pig right how they it's a social animal that your guinea pig is a social animal that fears bigger creatures but cats are social animals who kill everything so they don't care about anything really Hmm. i mean they might fear a bear but probably they can run away so they probably just came came to humans and they're like oh big things with food that we can run away from apparently cats just see us as big cats yeah yeah it's kind of how it is cats so they kind of ignore us and kind of rub up against us once in a while and yeah we're like in a little cat colony with them yeah we're just the big cats that feed them Mm -hmm. but sometimes they feed us too is that true well in their minds you ever got a cat bring you a headless mouse oh yeah (laughs) yeah that's fair i remember back when i lived with uh with claire and those guys um Claire's cat Pandora, who mm. was declawed in the front, uh, found a mouse in our house once, and uh, was like chasing it up and down the hallway trying to kill it. And she was really good at catching this mouse and like smacking it, but because she didn't have claws, she couldn't like pin it down. So she would just like smack it, and it would fly across the hallway. <laughs> and she'd be like, "Wait, no, I want that!" And she would chase after it and try to get it again. Oh dear! And we ended up having to like. Other Tim came over with a shovel and just hit the mouse. <laughs> so we're like, this is just going to last forever. Pandora's getting really stressed about it. We're going to have to just deal with this. But like, it wasn't, let's let's protect this mouse and release it into the wild. <laughs> let's hit it with a shovel. <laughs> Put it out of its misery. Uh, this well, cat has traumatized it already. I guess it probably It'll had a lot of concussions and stuff yeah, at that point. It, it was like limping by the time that oh. it was done. Because, you know, eventually it stopped running, but she still couldn't like do anything with it because it she couldn't she couldn't claw it she had no claws <laughs> she yeah. could just like tap it <laughs> it's very upsetting oh dear they yeah. are though when you think about like like if cats were the size of us like you hope that they would think of us as cats but if they like if they decided that we they were going to treat us the way they often treat other cats or the way they treat our hands sometimes like you'd have a lot of pet cat fatalities <laughs> yeah that's why like people shouldn't have pet lions yeah, because it, like it's a good idea at first, and then well, I don't know if it's a good idea at first. <laughs> it's no, definitely I think an it, idea. I think it's a pretty bad idea. <laughs> it's like, man, I had this great idea. It's a, my new business model: <laughs> lions for everyone. <laughs> Only the strong survive. Well, it's one way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Plus, think how good it would be for lions if every person in the world had a lion. No more lion endangerment problems. 
What? <laughs> There'd be seven billion lions. They wouldn't be endangered at all. I think people might be endangered in that case. <laughs> yeah, but you could just like then you could, then it'd be interesting because you could see truly which is the dominant species. If you like equal even out the numbers, seven billion people, seven billion lions, all at war. Who triumphs? Hmm. All at war. Well, like well, the or, circumstances, it would kind of depend. Like, are like, these like, lions in cages or are they just running around? Like shifty like, diplomacy stuff, you know, maybe form <laughs> some allegiances with certain prides of lions. So and, the lions can speak English now, right? No, not necessarily. No? I mean, like, is this in a lion. city or is this in, a, in the wild? This like, is, Every person in the world has a lion. Has a pet lion. Yeah. That's uh, that likes them. Is it a well, pet? So lion? could you like sick your lion on someone else that you don't like? Maybe if you've developed well, like a good you could, relationship. If you like with trained them. it, but like maybe it levels lions up a little trainable? bit. Do they evolve into bigger lions? <laughs> Sorry, what? I just think this is starting to sound like Pokemon, only with just lions. <laughs> I'm down with that. If you had just like lion battles, no, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Lion dancing. I guess that's kind of what Rome was about. Like lots of lions battling lions for the amusement of people. But then what if the lions got control and then they like started battling people against each other? Oh. For the amusement of lions. Well Maybe. that's the risk, right? We'd have to domesticate the lions and then increase their population to a one to one ratio. Because then yeah. there would be like domesticated lions that are just sweet and don't want to kill us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm I'm fine with that. I'm just interested in what would happen if there were seven billion lions. I'll be honest but about that. There, I don't really have any stipulations. <laughs> There's a lot more this. factors that you're not talking about in this, though. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like, if everyone just had a lion. I don't understand why this thought experiment is so hard, though. Just put a lion in every person's house. Just just any wild lion. Yeah. Just, just All of a sudden, there are, li- there are lions everywhere. Then everyone's dead. Well, do you think? I think so. Like, how, how long would it take for everybody to Okay, if there was a lion here, how long do you think it would take before it killed all three of us? Well, hmm. it depends. Did we let it be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Did we? Are you a lion? Maybe. Mm, that was a very low voice for a human. Maybe. <laughs> Simba. What if all the lions talked like James Earl Jones? Into it. Yeah. Then I wouldn't mind if humanity got destroyed by a bunch of lions that talked like James Earl Jones. At least it'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, for them, we'd all be destroyed. True. It'd be fun for whoever is left over, like, listening. Yeah. Dogs, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the lions eventually, like, grow opposable thumbs and make cinema, they'd make so many, like, good Lion King movies. They'd be, like, the man king. Oh, true. That'd be weird. Do you think that they would, like, change the, the MGM logo to just a man going, like, Hurrah! Hurrah! <laughs> movies <laughs> time, time for movies. It would just be Arnold Schwarzenegger going, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't think that the lion in that logo is actually speaking something in lion? Maybe. that lion. Apparently that lion killed someone, like, right after they did that shot. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's horrible. It's so, kind of metal. Watch out for MGM <laughs> lions. <laughs> Yeah, Man. it's dangerous business. Yeah, no kidding. You know what See, else is dangerous business? I'm not sure. What is? <laughs> Funding a podcast. Oh, for sure. That has no conceivable profit model. <laughs> but if you would like to support the Up for Discussion podcast, please go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. If you pledge fives of dollars, you can ask us questions. If you pledge more, other things happen. I don't remember those things. Me neither. You'll have to go to patreon.com slash up for discussion to check it out. This week... We got a question from our longtime fan and patron of the show, Nathan, who wants to know, is rock music dead? Even the Chili Peppers new stuff sounds like pop to me. 
So I haven't heard the Chili Peppers new stuff. Did the Chili Peppers... Then how do you know it sounds like pop? No, no, this is a quote from Nathan. (laughs) Uh, I was speaking as Nathan. Oh, 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 that was part of the question. Come on, man. (laughs) I mean, the Chili Peppers were always pretty pop. Right? Yeah, well, apparently their new th- uh, their new album was pr- uh, produced by Danger Mouse, so that oh, might really? have something to do with it. Okay, <laughs> so like, but like, Californication is not exactly like a hard rock anthem. Well, I know. think the Chili Peppers have slowly been just kind of getting old mm. as it goes. I mean, their their old stuff was pretty hard, like mm. hard and funky. Yeah, <laughs> but they always sort of like they had their. They had their hard, funky stuff, and then they had their like radio stuff. Oh yeah, that for sure. Could... And it's been like that for quite a while. Yeah. I don't think the Chili Peppers are the the greatest model for if rock is dying. Right, they're not mm-hmm. the rockiest rock. But I think that rock. I don't think rock is necessarily dead, but it might be dying. Hmm. But what would, what would you like? What what would be your reason for that? Well, I think that like in 2016. Mm-hmm. You can't say that rock is dead because Metallica had a number one album in something like 57 countries, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. So there's clearly still a market for it. But it seems that, like, it's all just, like, older acts. It doesn't seem there's any, like, really exciting new rock rock bands that are pushing boundaries or really doing anything that's really that creative. (laughs) Right. Or innovative. Like, I think that rock is kind of going where, like, it's going to end up sort of where jazz is now. Like, it's huh. this this artistic force that was really vital and pushed something and was a big sort of counterculture movement. But now it's just kind of like a style, you know? Okay, right. So, like, r- rock used to be the thing that yeah. you, like... Like, it was, like, the voice of, like, the youth culture, right? And right. that's not really the case anymore. Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's kind of that place was taken for a while by sort of the pop punk scene, right? Like, well, that, I would ca- I would call that rock too. Like right. that's what falls into rock. I would say that like rap and hip hop is kind of taken that place mm-hmm. as yeah. far as being like that countercultural force that's still like very big globally that sort of encompasses like everything as far as like a youth movement goes Mm -hmm. and still has a lot of interesting things to say and a lot of interesting places to go. Mm. Right. And important messages to spread through that as well. Right. Right. Hmm. So yeah. So rock has sort of had its heyday. Yeah, I I think so. Where it it was like this maybe disproportionately huge part of the music world. And now it's sort of, it's going back into sort of a regular genre. Hmm. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I guess so. It's just like it's not that it's dead. It just doesn't necessarily have the same cultural currency that it right. once did. It's mm. not dead. It's just retired. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's old. Yeah. <laughs> like as as a genre, rock music is old. Yeah. And I think that the the testament to that is that when you hear people excited about going to a rock show, they're not seeing new bands, right? They're seeing Def oh, Leppard. They're exactly. seeing Journey. They're seeing like Metallica. You know, mm. even even Steven Tyler is not really doing rock anymore. He's like moved <laughs> on to country and stuff. It's yeah. Yeah. On the plane ride over here, I actually I watched like a concert movie of Glastonbury. Okay. And I kind of thought the same thing because like all the rock bands for the most part were like old. They had like ZZ Top and you had like mm-hmm. ELO, and then you had like a bunch of like crappy like indie bands that are like I don't know, kind of rock, but like it's like wishy washy rock. Right. 
And then finally they had Muse, and I was like, oh, thank God, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Muse is good. I will give you that. But even they're kind of old. They've been around a while. Well, like, when's the last time that you could call yourself a rock band without a modifier on it? Yeah, that's true. Like, what, what... I can't think of a single band that's just been classified as rock since, like, maybe the 80s. Oh, like, I don't know. What about bands like Nickelback and stuff like, like that? Like, they they were, like, new rock, right? Or, like, they, there, there was a modifier on them, like, radio rock, new rock, yeah, 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 alt fair. rock. Nickelbrock. Um, <laughs> Nickelbrock. Um, Neo-grunge. Yeah, or like, whatever. And maybe it's just that rock splintered, and, like, it was only in the early days when, when people... Like how nobody calls themselves like rap anymore because right. there's all these different kinds of hip hop and stuff. Like maybe that's just a natural outgrowth of of any musical movement. Um, and I think that's a natural thing in humanity too to want to kind of like label yourself as specifically as possible so that people know what to expect of you, right? Because you're, you're kind yeah. of defining yourself, right? And if you're just rap or if you're just rock, that's mm. not enough, right? You've got to be like, I've got to be trap. Rap. What do they call that? Is it just trap? Trap. Yeah. Yeah. Just trap. Or like, I've got to be like hard rock or punk rock or, you know, it's, yeah. it's about kind of making, sh- it's part of the branding, right? Mm. It's well, making I, sure people know what you are. I think that also kids <clears throat> these days don't necessarily define themselves by one particular music style as hmm. much anymore. Okay. Like, like say in like the seventies or eighties, like rock was like kind of, is like you were rock or you were into pop Mm. Or you were into rap. Right, and you were like, a new waver. Or yeah, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. But it seems that these days, like, younger people are a lot more into, like, everything. Mm-hmm. And that's probably just because we have so much more music just at our fingertips. You don't have to invest as much into checking something out that's new. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's but. it's easier to just kind of be exposed to everything, right? Right. And you can pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. And, and people are blending styles a lot more. Like, mm-hmm. um, for example, like 21 Pilots, like you could say that they were kind of the one sort of quote unquote rock act that sort of broke out this year. Okay. But they're a big hybrid of a million different styles. They've got rock. Yeah. Um, like I, I would rap, classify them reggae, as like, like reggae, dance, hip-hop, like, something. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What did they do again? They did, they did that blurry face song. Blurry face? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah, I remember stress, stressed, stressed out. out. That's stressed yeah. out. That's what it's called. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mother sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. You didn't hear that song? Nope. Okay, but it was it had rap in the verses, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. and they had another one that's like really reggae. That was like their other single. The the borders of rock are also weird. Like I don't, I don't know where where they end. Like if it is metal rock, or is it something different? Did it like evolve from rock into into something new? Like mm. is is Twenty One Pilots rock because they have influences of things that were influenced by rock? Like it's I don't know. exactly well. That's where all the modifiers come in, I mm. guess. <clears throat> yeah, mm. I would be curious to see like like do you know offhand like when metal came to be because presumably like rock came before metal right well metal like it started out with black sabbath which and back then it was just it was hard rock right Right. and then metal became more of a thing in the 80s and that 
splintered in a bunch of directions. You had like mm-hmm. the new wave of British heavy metal with like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and all that. You had yeah. thrash metal with like Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax. Yeah. But you when you had like when you glam metal, it. Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses, so on and so forth. Yeah. There's very much a, like a, a artificial split, or at least a, you have to like draw the line somewhere. But the difference between like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin is not particularly obvious, right? Yeah. But I think one, like people would generally label Led Zeppelin as like rock or classic rock or something. And then Sabbath, they'd like push to the other side of the line. Hmm. Because Sabbath is dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when, for me, like when I really think about it, like, so basically it all kind of, it's like a tree, right? The branches come out. There's music that starts off as just music. And then as it grows, everything kind of branches into more stuff. Mm. And like, it's it's almost hard for me to say like you know there's a lot of stuff that i would just classify if you had to give it one broad title there's like a lot of like pop stuff yep a lot of like classical stuff and then like i would say jazz could be like a third yep. kind of bubble yep and then everything else kind of fits under one of those three things right like the pop being the one that kind of everything that people actually listen to is currently under rock metal hip-hop everything is kind of <clears throat> under that stream for me Mm-hmm. I would I would put rock and pop as two separate things. Yeah, True. yeah. But I, I, think, I so. think they would be two. But they 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 have overlap because pop is really just what's popular, right? Well, right? that's it's it. not necessarily a style, but yeah. it also can be a style. Hmm. Yeah, because like because rock music came out of popular music, right? Yeah, like it it was kind of a thing that branched out of it. It became a really huge branch. It's maybe like a super significant branch of pop music, but it was still a branch of pop music, right? But also, it's almost like pop music like dropped an acorn into the ground and grew its own tree. Well, and popular, I think what we call pop music sort of sprang out of what a lot of people would refer to as early classic rock, right? Like when you think about the first big pop band, you would think of things like the Beatles, yeah, which right. everyone thinks of as classic rock, kind of. But also, if you if you put that on the radio now, I don't know if people would call it rock, right? And kind of classic rock. Yeah, they, yeah, but only because it's the Beatles, right? Like yeah. if, if someone was innovating and decided to do that style now, you put it on top 40 with good production, it would fit right in. Well, it depends on which part of the Beatles too, right? If we're talking like, I want to hold your hand, that's like straight pop. But if we're yeah. talking about like you, some of the weirder shit. Helter right? Skelter is a little more in the rock right. vein, yeah. If you take the Beatles with good production and put it on the radio, you have Sam Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's fairly true. Ow! Hey, remember when I almost got an audition to be Sam Roberts' drummer? Did you really? What? Yeah, like not really. It was it was a bit of a stretch, but way back in the day, um, I think the last show that our band ever played was the Phoenix Fire Down. And we were in uh, that we played this show at Reggie's right. at, at Concordia, like right before you left. And there was this girl there who was like a friend of Troy's. Okay. And she apparently knew the guitarist from Sam Roberts. And they had, like, just lost their drummer, and they were on tour. Um, so, like, afterwards, she, like, she was, I think, kind of drunk at our show. And Probably. because of that, like, really blown away by me, because I was, like, this 17-year-old playing drums. She was like, this guy's so good. So she, like, messaged me, and I think this was, like, right after I got Facebook. Um, messaged me on Facebook. and was like, hey, I want to, like, set you up with, like, an audition with Sam Roberts <laughs> to, like, be his young new drummer. And I was like, sure. Like, I don't think I'm good enough. But I didn't say that. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then by the time he got back from tour, he'd already found a new drummer. Yeah, of course. So never. And I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have been Sam Roberts' drummer. But <laughs> oh, maybe. It's a fun little Ringo could have been. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Man. 
Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah, but I, I think probably the, like, <coughs> I don't know if Ringo would be the Beatles' drummer now. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even the Beatles' drummer to start. Yeah. Have you seen his art? I like his art. He makes art? Oh, like, yeah. He makes, he makes the best. Like, really? It's like MS Paint art. Oh, man. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. Go to RingoStarArt.com. Yeah, I'm going to do that. This podcast is sponsored by RingoStarArt.com. Go there. Please sponsor this podcast. You can take a screenshot of some MS Paint stuff. The Ringo Star. (laughs) What? It's made with MS Paint. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's beautiful. uh, I don't know when he last updated it, but it's it's good. If you imagine Ringo Star's drumming translated to art form, it's about about how it is. That roughly sounds like the equivalent of like William Shatner's music albums. We were talking about that on the last podcast. (laughs) We definitely did. (laughs) Which is weird because it's not out yet, so you haven't heard it. Yeah. Well, I've heard his previous stuff oh we were talking about our podcast but yeah oh the, the uh, oh the podcast okay i thought you meant he had like a new album coming out or something yeah that was a how many of those did he do oh a few <laughs> it was just all him like talking yeah pretty much well that's kind of like what happened to murakai murakai Mar- who mariah carey <laughs> murakai <laughs> you know murakai hmm. yeah hashtag murica you guys i was just telling you guys before we started recording about that mariah carey thing that happened yeah on New Year's Eve. where yeah. she like decided not to sing yeah like there were just technical difficulties and her monitors weren't working and you know people are calling was it sabotage you know were the tech people trying to ruin her like, career of course and yeah. apparently everyone on twitter went crazy and was like her career is so over <laughs> it's done right carrie what's she done this one performance will ruin her yeah pretty yeah. much <clears throat> it's wild have you guys ever had like bad like like monitoring experiences oh that- <laughs> like every second show right <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing when you're like an indie band, you and you don't have your own sound guy. You're at the mercy of whoever is manning the board that night. Right. So you want to make sure not to piss that guy off. It's before like the show. It's almost worth having a sound guy who tours with you and it, like. Oh you, yeah. yeah, well that's why yeah. every big band does, right? Right. Did you ever have a have like your own sound guy? Uh, not for us. Mm-hmm. When we were to, toured with Faber Drive, right? Um, their sound guy did some stuff for us. Yeah. But no, we were never fiscally set to hire our own crew yeah yeah like uh, often when you're an indie band it's like your first song is just kind of your sound check right oh yeah <laughs> most of the time it's like all right we know this one's gonna be bad but we're gonna keep playing through it and eventually the guy will figure stuff out yeah yeah, yeah. that's been my experience with church music too is like there's we do have a soundboard and there's always someone operating it but it like you know it's all volunteer based right so no one actually has training with this you yeah know? We we brief them on how levels work and where the gains are and everything, but otherwise it's kind of just a you know, shot in the dark. Hopefully it works. Hopefully they don't you know make you sound bad. Yeah, mm. and I've had experiences where like playing with different bands, but with the same sound guy on different occasions. And like for um, well, once we played at this this club with Fighting for Ithaca, and he didn't like us for whatever reason. <laughs> and like our monitors were garbage. It didn't sound very good. And then. A, a little while later, maybe about a year later or whatever, I was playing in a different band called The Dead Set that was female-fronted. Okay. And he was, when we were setting up, he was being kind of flirty with our singer and whatnot. She was gay, so we had no shot. But <laughs> but we sounded awesome that night. <laughs> so I'm going to make this girl sound good. Yeah. Maybe she'll like me. Huh? Yeah. So, you know, the sound That's guys funny. have the power. Yeah, yeah I guess they so. really do. 
I I've so, run into a lot of really crabby sound guys at clubs. <laughs> oh man! Like I think a lot of sound guys are like failed musicians, so they just hate bands. Oh man! <laughs> at least sound guys working at like small venues. <laughs> this isn't a generalization about all sound guys. This is just my experience. Hashtag not all sound well, guys. <laughs> yeah, the good sound guys are working for. You That's know. right. Yeah, if the sound guys that have succeeded are probably touring with big bands yeah. and not working at your local bar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when I when I do sound at church, <clears throat> I I figured out you know I, I've done it for years, and so I've been working with a lot of these musicians for a long time, and I know who like who has a tendency to sing soft, who has a tendency to sing loud, right. and I'll kind of manipulate the monitors so that they have to go a little bit louder if they're one of the people who doesn't sing loud enough. Oh, right. So I'm like, sorry, I'm gonna like make you quiet in the monitor so that you'll actually project a little bit, and then I can get more of you out in the <laughs> mains. That's a it's, it's sneaky. It, you have to do it sometimes, right? That's interesting. You actually, yeah, you have the ability to affect the person's performance for sure by like the way you make them think they're sounding. This whole time, I've been staring at your mic that's turned slightly this way more mm-hmm. than it should be, uh, and it, has probably made you a lot softer this, the whole episode. Well, you can go in there and put some gains on it. You're gonna get bassier now than you were for I'm the gonna, first like 45 minutes. Nah, I, I apologize to my friends and family. It's okay. It'll still sound good. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's the thing is like when you're when you're the sound guy, when you're producing something, you're always kind of like paying attention to where everything's at and you know like if one of the singers is all the way back here, you're like, okay, I've got to boost yeah. their gain or like manually like walk up and actually like put the microphone in their mouth <laughs> and be like sing here. It's always yeah. fun. I think that's one thing like that like in recording too, like producers have gotten more and more power in terms of how like how an artist sounds over the decades, right? Like, yeah. Like when you when you consider that it started out being like, okay, put the Beatles in the room, they're gonna record ten takes, we're gonna take the best one. Right. And mix it a little and then that's gonna be, you know, we're gonna press that. Hmm. Um, you know. Now the producer is more oftentimes more of the artist than the person oh, yeah. fronting hmm. sort of the, the pop project. Right. Whoops. <laughs> We still have our, uh, our resident chicken here. Have you named her yet? Thought we'd mention. Oh, her name is Charming. <laughs> Charming the chicken. Yeah, Charming the chicken. That's fair. Actually, oh, she has a name. Charming is the brand. Her name is Grandma Hippie Chick, apparently. <laughs> official sponsor of the show. <laughs> apparently. And that's why rock music is old, because all the hippie chicks turned into grandmas. <laughs> bam, 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 coming Take, full circle. Boom. boom. Are there any like producers that you guys are aware of right now whose work you consistently enjoy? Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. When he put something out, which isn't very often. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Hmm. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Most of the producers who I know of are the ones who like they don't even have... Like they just produce under their own names, right. like the EDM producers. A lot of them do that. So like Dead Mouse and people, um, the, anyone with DJ in front of their name, right? Like they tend to just be their their own producer, right? Um, yeah, I don't know who are like the producers in other genres right now that are really big. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really pay that much attention to producers anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's who's that guy? Who's who's the guy who did? Uh, Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then Kanye immediately West. after the fun album. No, the producer. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. What's that guy? It's not Jack Antonoff, is it? No, no that's it's the like other Mark, Mark something or other. What's his name? Oh, Mark. Uh, uh, it starts, his last name starts with a B. 
Mark Bob. Something Basker. Jeff Basker. I think that's what okay. it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got Mark from. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think both those albums had like five producers, but I know that right. like they, they share a very similar sound and it's due to this one guy. Right. right. Uh, well, the way Kanye works is like he kind of curates it. Like he, he produces, but he's got like an army of producers <laughs> okay. and rappers. And yeah. actually, Dre is kind of the same too now. Mm. The way he works is like. He kind of curates the project, and he just brings in all the talent, and okay, and then picks the I don't know the cool stuff, and like has the unique vision. But he's got all like this whole team. It's kind of like Andy Warhol with the factory in the '60s, right? <clears throat> you put you more put your stamp on it, and it has sort of your imaging, whether or not you had any say in the brushstrokes. That makes sense, though. Like, you know one of the coolest things that we can do as people is collaborate, right? And so if you know a lot of ridiculously talented people, you kind of want to get them all on your project, right? Because it'll be as good as yeah, it can possibly I think, be. I think that's really cool. That might be um, kind of a big difference between how a lot of music is produced now and like going back to rock. Like mm-hmm. rock is very much like the band, like mm-hmm. those four or five dudes right? and like the producer. But with a lot of these hip hop projects, like that's how it is. It's like a ton of people working on these things. That's true. You're very much considered a sellout in rock if you didn't write all your own stuff and if you didn't play all your own instruments. Mm-hmm. Whereas in like modern like pop and hip hop production, like no one really cares. Mm-hmm. Like that, that thing when, uh, even I, I was surprised at how how few people cared in that whole Drake versus Meek Mill beef thing. Yeah, the people, ghostwriter yeah. thing. Nobody like, cared at all. Like everyone was like, "I don't care if he's, he's got a ghostwriter. It's good music. Right. Just, just go on with it." So yeah, because yeah. that in, in hip hop, like that was a big thing. Like you, you know, you don't have someone else write your rhymes, man. Yeah, <laughs> fake. But you fronting. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess yeah, it's just people are the consumer at the end of the day. I guess doesn't care too much. No, as long as the the product's good. I think that back in the day, people did care. Mm. Yeah, that would make sense because it was it was more of a niche thing then too, right? Right. It wasn't like the popular music. Where let's be real, like mo- most of the most successful like hip hop artists right now are successful because they've broken into the mainstream world. And they're you know they're kind of almost they're in the pop world even if they're not pop yet, and like. Most of their audience are like teenagers who don't really care. Right. I think it kind of depends on the artist too, though. Like for Drake, like because he's more of a pop Mm -hmm. R and B type rapper. Yeah. Like he's not a super lyrical rapper, so you don't really care. But like if say like you found out like Eminem didn't write his own rhymes, like that would be a bigger thing Hmm. because that's what he's made his name on is being like super clever and lyrical, right? Right. Yeah. I suppose that's true. And if you get into, I suppose if you get into more of the indie genres, then it starts. It probably starts to matter a lot more. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like any anytime something becomes more specialized, people kind of attach more of a personal importance, I think, to right. that thing. Yeah. Yeah, well that's it. And that's why like people who have, you know, achieved kind of mainstream pop success can get away with stuff that well, I think you know, it's almost expected right? really. Like yeah. I don't think anyone was really shocked or surprised, like, oh, Drake has a ghostwriter, like mm. I yo, never saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I think my bigger issue with ghostwriting is just that like, I would rather they just be upfront about it and credit the writer. Right. Right. Like if you're not writing this verse, tell me who wrote this verse. I want to like, you know, see what else they've see what else they've done. Yeah. Right. And maybe that'll sort of, cause may- maybe that's, that's a sign that ghostwriting still does have a little more of a stigma than say production and songwriting generally. Right. 
So maybe we'll yeah, get to that true. point. Yeah, ghostwriting is kind of a, a way that a lot of guys get their start. Like Kendrick mm. Lamar got his start ghostwriting. Hmm. I don't right. know who for because he won't say. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, legally he can't. Right? Yeah, you but, signed yeah. away your rights to this thing. Yeah. Well, I always think about like you know if I ever got back into songwriting and you know spent a lot of time working on that and got to a point where I wanted to sell music. I probably wouldn't want to like record it myself. I'd probably want to just find writers or find, you know, singers and write for them. Yeah. Mm. It depends on what your vision for the project is, right? Mm. If you, if you've got a, if you have a very singular unique vision, then it makes sense to do it yourself. But if you want to collaborate and just kind of like try a bunch of different things, then it makes sense to bring in other songwriters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like helping people tell their stories as well. Right. It's yeah. kind of the, the nice thing songwriters get to do is like, sure, they're probably going to have to churn out the occasional crappy pop song, but like they also get to like, you know, help people express themselves, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. wonder if like if the forefront of pop has much further it can move in that direction or w- whether it will move even further in that direction, because like I can kind of see a future of that, which is essentially like Korean pop where you you really like people are really made to be the like sort of the puppets of a of a big yeah, enterprise. it's pretty much a factory yeah and it's i i wonder if if like north american pop will end up going all the way there or whether there's still enough of an emphasis on like like we we need to at least have the illusion that this person is kind of the artist of their own work. I I think we're pretty we're almost all the way there. I mean, like look at One Direction. Like no one has any <laughs> under any illusions that they write their own stuff or true or ever did or you know they they were put together. Even the like the Backstreet Boys. Like yeah, it, it, it's been a, a pack, package thing like that. I think the difference now is that back like say when the Backstreet Boys came out. There was much more of a sort of us versus them between like the rock people that were all about like artistic integrity and, you know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're into rock bands and they write their own songs and they have real talent. And these guys are just these prefabricated pop puppets. Yeah. Whereas now, I don't know. There are still people who care about that, but we don't listen to them. Well, it's I think it's just that the like that conversation isn't really being had on a mainstream level like that Mm -hmm. anymore. Like there's still like you've got like kids that are into punk rock and hardcore where in that ethic is still important in those genres. Mm. But I mean, that kind of stuff still does happen. You have producers in like for punk bands that will end up, you know, writing a lot of a band's songs if the band isn't good. Right. <laughs> you just don't hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think like eventually if you are having success with like writing music and putting out your music out there, like the demand for new material often outweighs the amount of new material that you're organically coming up with. Right. So you kind of at some point have to start bringing on other writers unless you're like right. this crazy virtuoso songwriter who can just crank them out and they're always good. Right. Like eventually you're like, okay, I wrote 20 songs for that first album and now I need to write another album in the next like year with another 20 songs, but I had my whole life to write that first album. It's yeah. Like, which is why a lot of second albums are not as good. Right. Right. But if you want to avoid that as a big pop act, maybe you get a bunch of people who have had their whole lives to write other songs. Right. Well, that's the benefit of like bands, right? Is that theoretically the whole band, if you're lucky are all songwriters in their own right. And you can kind of like, yeah, 
work together on stuff. Yeah, and then on the flip side of that, you've got guys like Trent Reznor who are like that kind of creative engine that just like drives everything. Right. And maybe he's got like, I think he's got like one collaborator that he works with pretty consistently that I know of. Um, I don't know if he like he's got many others, but like in that case, like he is the guy. And there's right. a few other bands like that too, right? Right. And often those people wind up being producers. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know one uh, one big producer whose music I always like. No matter who he's producing for, I always end up enjoying it a lot. And then I'm always surprised if I go back and I look at the album, I'm like I wonder who produced this, and it's always him. Is T Bone Burnett? Oh yeah, he's great. What's, what's he done? He produced a lot of Elvis Costello's stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, he also produces. He produces out of Nashville, uh, so he produces a lot of like sort of country and folk and stuff. Um, Striking Matches, who are a really great duo, who came out within the past like year or two. I think may have played some of their stuff for you at some point. That's forget. quite possible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he does a lot of like that sort of music. And are there, like you can always tell like it's, you know. Are there good. like particular elements that you can be like, oh, that's like a T-Bone Burnett thing? No, because I never know that it's him when I'm listening. Huh. I just like, I'm just never surprised when I like check the production credits on an album that I liked and find out that it was him. Because I'm always like, oh, that makes sense. I like him. That's but really I haven't figured out what it is about him yet. Because like there must be things, and probably he's aware of the things that he's doing. They're mm. like these are this is like my secret sauce. Yeah, um, I think if I produced music, I would probably be able to pinpoint them exactly. But because mm. I don't produce music, I'm like I don't know. I'm a casual. I think that makes him a good producer. The fact yeah. that he's got his style, but like it, you can't even really tell. Like yeah. that that's what a producer should be because it should be about the artist's style. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, this producer just his, sweetens his, everything. Yeah. yeah, that's it. He brings out the best in the artist he works with. Cool. Yeah. The producer I like is uh, John Feldman. He produced like the newest uh, Blink-182 record right. that came out. Mm. Like, he He's a guy, another example of a guy that like started out in a band and in order to keep his career going, ended up getting into producing. And now he's written for like huge pop stars like Pink and a bunch of different different ones and Felt, i think he produced like ashley simpson i think he might have written since you've been gone or co-written that song i could oh, be okay. wrong about that where did he start at goldfinger okay huh. <clears throat> oh that makes sense because that was like a pop you know a pop juggernaut in its own right yeah for sure and he was very very instrumental in sort of curating that or launching that whole like screamo thing like he discovered oh, really? the used okay and uh story of the year so he had a, he had a big hand in that like Making that whole wave a thing. Yeah. And then he got into like the pop world. <laughs> so he's kind of done it all. Right. Super talented guy. And then if we're talking about producers and songwriters, we have to mention Max Martin, who's done literally everything since the day we were born. <laughs> um, so that's kind of fun. Who's that again? Max Martin. He wrote pretty much everything that um, Britney Spears is famous for and everything the Backstreet Boys are famous for. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote most of Katy Perry's stuff. Really? Um, and like he just, if you look up Max Martin on Wikipedia and you go through his songwriting credits, it's, it's just a wall of like, oh, this, I've heard every song on this list. Well, yeah. He's like the Swedish guy. But it's, it's kind of funny because he doesn't actually speak English very well. Right. So if you, there, there's like this version of I Want It That Way that's like floating around the internet where after he wrote that song, because he wrote it in his very bad English and that's why no one can tell what it means. <laughs> um, and. That's awesome. They they were like when he presented it to like to the record label and stuff. They were like, "No, this doesn't make any sense." And they rewrote the whole song and actually had the Backstreet Boys like like record both versions. Right. 
Um, and then eventually they went with Max Martin's original. And if you listen to the, like the, the one that they recorded with like the modified lyrics, you can tell because the lyrics make sense, but because they make sense, they're, they're all cliches. Right. And it, it like, it's just, it just falls completely flat. Cause you're like, Oh, I've heard this a million times, but the, but the genius of, I want it that way is that it's this weird, like bad grammar, Swedish kind of English. Right. It's not like horribly hard to understand though it just doesn't feel like it's saying much you are my fire the one desire believe when i say i want it that way that's not that's you can not totally like, just imagine that in a yeah. swedish accent yeah. too like this guy like dude doesn't really speak english but and then like like that's not those aren't bad like but like grammatically not, it is kind of weird like you're my fire the one desire not yeah, my one desire. Right. we are two you know, worlds like, apart can't reach to your heart when you say I want it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, then, and that's, that's the always thing very, like, like, it's not horrible. It's just does, not good either. Which way it's, it's, it's kind of like I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Like what mm. is, what is that way? What is the, the way that he wants it? <laughs> and does he want it? Does he want to hear her say I want it that way? Or doesn't he It kind of contradicts itself halfway through? I have an issue with, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. The issue is that everyone who questions that song is dumb because it's very clear what that is. <laughs> because the line right before that in the verse or whatever is, but I'll never forget the way it feels right now. Oh, no, no way. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Well, there you go. He will never forget the way that it feels. It's very fucking clear and nobody gets it. My mind is blown right now. It's, it's extreme. It's aggressively clear. It's not a bad lyric. No one pays attention. You're all just idiots. Yeah. Also, Friends and Frasier ended in the same year, so shut up. Going back to Max Martin, I, I just want to pose a question. Yep. Why are Swedish people so good at pop music? I don't know. I know. Like, what, what is it about that country? Wait, so what other examples are you thinking ABBA. of? ABBA. It's because oh, pop shoot. music is yeah. very yeah. neutral. Yeah, Wait, that's Switzerland. Um. <laughs> you were close. Oops. I don't know. Maybe like uh, there's something about sort of Nordic Europe that has a weird universal appeal to it. People talk about this with the. This is a non sequitur, but like PewDiePie is is he? He's not Swedish, is he? He's I like Finnish or Danish or something like that. Um, but one of the things people credit with his like taking over of of YouTube as opposed to every other gamer on on YouTube is just like that everyone can kind of relate to that like accent and way of speaking, but no one really relates to it. <laughs> so it's, it's like very, it's, it's unifying in a way. Like everybody huh. can kind of feel like it's a bit exotic. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's why people liked Yilvis so much? It, Maybe. Quite possibly. I feel I, like I never really got Yilvis. Have honest. you heard any of their other stuff? No, I've just heard that Fox. So okay, I yeah. didn't get it. I, when we finish this podcast, I'm going to play a song for you that will blow your mind. All right. uh, it's called Stonehenge, and it's one of the greatest things in the world. Yilvis is Yilvis Swedish? They're, They're Norwegian. Norwegian, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Yilvis, also, I would, I would put more in the yeah. category of things the internet thought the artist took seriously, even though the artist didn't take it seriously. Yeah, they're definitely like, they're like Norwegian Flight of the Concords, basically. Yeah. Also, it's kind of funny that like Sweden is known for like pop music and death metal. Yeah. <laughs> like those are the two kinds of things. That's true. That's a very stark contrast. But 
Well, it's kind of interesting, though, is that it's not super stark because the kind of me- of death metal they're known for is like the melodic kind of death metal. That's true. It's not like the grindcore kind of like napalm death, car- like whatever kind. It's, you know, it's like the guitar harmonies, like it's like Arch Enemy at the Gates. Like true. The the very, it's, it's very melodic. Mm-hmm. It's very classically like sort of um, influenced by classical music, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why. Um, maybe there's a, a big tradition of like classical music in that country. I don't know. And anybody, so they have a very good sense of like melodicism and stuff like that. Anybody mm. who's Swedish, um, hit us up in the comments. Let us know if uh, if you <laughs> you've got classical music over there. Yeah, that'd be it. Cool. Well, do you guys think rock music is dying? Let us know in the comments. Do you mm. guys have a producer you like a lot? Let us know in the comments. Do you have a Swedish friend that you like a lot? <laughs> Let us know in the comments. <laughs> Let them know in the comments. <laughs> tell your Swedish friends you love them. Guys, yeah. it's National Tell Your Swedish Friends You Love Them Day. Hashtag National Tell Your Friends Swedish Love. <laughs> that was like a Max Martin version of a <laughs> phrase in English. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Max Martin hashtags. <laughs> hashtag patreon.com slash up for discussion <laughs> Tommy can people find you online somewhere uh no don't find me online anywhere perfect mm. you can find Tommy on his private Facebook page that you can't search because it's unsearchable that's it and you can Woo. find us at down with talking on Twitter at Tonsalat and I at acapella science give Simon a follow he's at know the other Simon he's yeah. not here right now yeah but he'll be back He'll soon. be here soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you guys like the show, make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. Uh, go to iTunes to do the rating part of that and uh, SoundCloud to do the commenting part of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, make sure to share this episode with a friend. Any any last words for the audience as Tim plays us out? None? No comment. I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love I would do anything for love But I won't do that Won't do what? Oh no I won't do anything for love That's the weirdest line But I won't (laughs) do that Bye Hi, this is Simon. Tune in to the Up for Discussion podcast next week to hear me talking about things and fluff.